The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 On this week's show, we welcome back resident Red FM AFLW expert and coach to the stars, Mike Curran, to give us all the latest news on the Irish players heading to Australia for pre-season and why the latest round of collective bargain agreement negotiations are so important. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the bench to review the Munster Women's Rugby Annual Report and look back on a marvellous season for women's rugby in the province. I spoke to both Cork Senior, Camogie and Intermediate Managers Matthew Toomey and Trevor Coleman following the county's recent Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Championship losses. I got injury updates from both camps and a preview of the Cork team's upcoming All-Ireland ties. Cork LGFA Manager JJ DC joins the Big Red Bench to preview this weekend's All-Ireland Under-14 Platinum Final against Mayo. Resident Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me to discuss the Spanish Grand Prix and all the latest Formula 1 off-track headlines. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. Now, we're thrilled to have back on the big red bench once again our resident AFLW expert and coach to the stars and conduit to all those Irish players that are heading out, 32 in total, uh, for next season for the AFLW Aussie Rules Women's Championship. Uh, Mike Curran joined us once again here on the big red bench to talk about how the pre-season is already up and running and how that's going, about the Irish players that have recently headed over and those that are still at home waiting to go to Australia, an official start date for the upcoming season and then an interesting debate on the CBA, which is the Collective Bargain agreement which is heading for 2026 when AFLW may well go full-time professional. Delighted to welcome back Mike Curran. Now it is a real pleasure to welcome back one of the Big Red Bench's uh, most favourite uh, contributors. Uh, he is the AFLW expert to beat all other experts. He is coach to the stars. He's so many things. He's also the busiest person I know um, and it is Mike Curran and I'm delighted to welcome him back once again to Corks Red FM's Big Red Bench. Mike, how are you? Great, sure. Great to be back on. Thanks a million. Good to talk to you. Um, I assume you do get some bit of a holiday at some point of the year, do you? I think it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good answer yeah, to the first it's, question. It's a little bit calmer. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit calmer the last couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, it's starting to, to kick off and build nicely now into another season. Excellent stuff. Uh, and that's where we begin our first AFLW chat of the 2023-2024 campaign by saying, when does pre-season officially begin, Mike? Well, it's it's on, Ger. It has started this week. So um, AFLW 2023 preseason has officially started um, as of Monday. Uh, I suppose it's, it's important to point out, I say officially, because in reality, mm. most of these players now have been training in a way for the last three or four months, uh, you know, in, in kind of a unique scenario in terms of where the game is going. And we'll touch on that a bit more towards the end of the chat. But um it's been mainly player driven, you know, the players have been coming into the clubs and group sessions have had to be organized and and they've referred to it in Australia as free season in some in some places <laughs> because the girls are doing this without getting paid or pre pre season. So whatever you want to call it, that's been going on for the last few months. Uh the girls and particularly some of the Irish girls have been putting in a Trojan amount of work in that off season period. But AFLW preseason has now officially started as of this week, and we, we see a good number of the Irish girls uh, back on the track and some of them uh, seriously impressing already. 
Yes, and some of their Instagram and social media accounts, uh, to name but a few, have been very active with people back out on the pitch and getting stuck in. We can't cover every single Irish player just on this particular edition of the Big Red Bench, but who are some of the Irish players that have recently headed over, uh, Mike, and how are they getting on? Yeah, for sure. Well, just one of the, I mean, in terms of the, the players doing really well at preseason, it's worth mentioning it's a name that's going to pop up all across the season. Orlo Adwar, we know it well. She has shaved. 18 seconds off the club record 2k oh. time trial in in her first day back at preseason. so she's one of these players that's been putting in a ferocious amount of work across the last four months already one of the best runners and athletes in the league and she has obliterated the, the Brisbane Lions club record for the 2k time trial so that is testament to the work that's been done already and we know how good she's been across the last couple of years, including being our, the first uh, Irish All-Australian. So uh, I'd say the opposition are already quaking their boots when they see that statistic. But yeah, it's very exciting time at the minute. We have a number of our Irish players heading over and oh, how different it is to a few seasons ago um, when we had COVID and when we had quarantines and all that sort of stuff. It's brilliant now. We see uh, a lot of families heading over together, a huge amount of support for the players. So for example, in the last week alone, We've seen Yvonne Bonner head from Donegal with her husband, Paul, and her 18-month-old daughter, Breed, for a, a new adventure, her second stint at AFLW, off to Adelaide Crows. So that's amazing to see. They've touched down and landed at Adelaide, where they were greeted by Captain Chelsea Randall, the, the coach, Matthew Dark Clark, and other players, including Irish Crow and uh, Neve Kelly. Then we had the biggest travelling party, I think, of the season, without question, are <laughs> the Fitzpatricks from Port Leash. Her own Fitzpatrick has travelled to Australia with both her her mum and dad, Pat and Elaine, also her uncle and godfather, Barry, and his partner. So there's five of those gone to Australia. And much as the O'Shea's did with Eric O'Shea last season, they're going to spend a month out there to help Aaron get settled in and all that. So I think uh, Johnny O'Shea has created a bit of a precedent. But how good to see that, that we can see families heading over with the players now. And we also saw Jennifer Higgins head from Roscommon um, to Sydney, so she became the third Irish player to land in Sydney after Paris McCarthy and Julia Sullivan headed out a few weeks ago. And she also travelled with her husband, Kyle Shine, who himself is a, a well-renowned former Roscommon footballer. And he will actually work at Sydney Swans in the backroom team at the AFLW as well. So family affairs all around. It's absolutely brilliant to see it. Uh, we also have Jane Finn heading out from uh, Mayo across the next couple of days. And then, of course, a number of the girls will stay in Ireland and play out the championship. And I don't think, given what's happened over the last couple of weeks, any of the AFLW clubs are going to have a major problem with that. Because when you see who's left at home, you've got Neve McLaughlin in Donegal, who's just won an Ulster championship as captain and took out the player of the match in the Ulster final. You have Jennifer Dunn at Dublin, who's just helped Dublin win their 10th Leinster title in a row and took out the player of the match in the Leinster final. And you've Rachel Kearns up in Mayo, uh, who's helped uh, Mayo win their first Connacht title since 2018, I think. And she took out the player of the match in the Connacht final. So the girls that are here are absolutely flying. As you also have the likes of um, Amy Mackin and Blahin Mackin playing on with Armagh. And Amy Mackin is shooting the lights out every other weekend. She's scoring three goals, one seven, what have you. So the girls that are here and will be here for another few weeks, um, and including the three temporary players as well, of course, Ashley Maloney, who's also shooting the lights out. I think she got one seven or one nine in a recent championship game there against Cork. She did. Um, and Rose Kennedy and Eve Martin. So the girls that are here, they're going to remain until their teams exit the championship. The girls that are gone out, 
have already hit the track. Iran Fitzpatrick was at our first training session about 24 hours after landing in Melbourne. Uh, Carlton put the picks up in the last couple of days there. So uh, fantastic to see uh, the players hitting the ground running. It is, and it's such a hectic time as we've covered many, many occasions in the past, Mike. Players going over for the first time, especially with family home partners, have family there as you've outlined. Um, it's it's a very busy time. It's it's getting settled. It's getting ready for what's to come. But do we have an official start date for the new season? So we do have an official start date. At the moment, it's about all we have. Mm. But that's not surprising from the AFLW. And we'll link on to that in a second because there's still some outstanding issues with the infamous CBA, which is an ongoing thing. But... The season 2023 will start on the weekend of the 1st and 2nd of September. That is set in stone. That is all we know at the moment. But outside of that, players and clubs don't know who they're playing, where they're playing, if they're travelling interstate or not. They don't have a fixture, but they have a date to work to. So we're in 12 weeks of pre-season now, I think, up to that first weekend in September, which is also a buy-around in the men's AFL competition. So it gives the AFLW clear air for its launch weekend. So yeah to have a season start date which is the most important bit to work to but a lot of stuff still to be worked out Indeed um, and that, but that's great though that I mean there's a target for everybody to work towards in terms of franchises players and everybody in the backroom team I think that is essential as you said and it's good that the decks have been cleared to give it a maximum um, media attention I think that's a key thing as well Mike isn't it because obviously the AFLW want to hit the ground running pardon the pun when they do get that opening weekend so having a clear weekend with no other distractions and no other big things going on um, like the AFL it, that's a big move it is. I look at it, it just sets it up nicely. Uh, as you say, it gives that kind of clear air on that first weekend and then uh, it launches the whole competition. It drives on from there. Then you've got your likely 10 weeks of, of um, 10 rounds of home and away again and then your finals, which will be three or four weeks again. So it really sets the, the season up and um, it highlights, I suppose, that kind of that change in date and that change of timing now that this is going to be the traditional start weekend, give or take a week or two. Hopefully it gets a bit earlier every year. Uh, but as you say, the main thing is it gives every team something to aim for and, and a target. And as we've said, the clubs have got straight down to action. Some of them have been away in uh, pre-season camps already. We've, we've seen Julia Sullivan from Kerry surfing up in Coffs Harbour in New South Wales. So she must have got a bit of practice down there um, on, on the beautiful wild Atlantic Way somewhere. But um, yeah, it's it's great to have a date, but still a lot of lot of stuff to be figured out. Indeed, there is. And also uh, something that has to be figured out, just to finish on, you mentioned it there, the CPA, which is a collective bargaining agreement. Now, we've spoken about this horny subject on numerous occasions on previous editions of the Big Red Bench, and you've been very, very, you were able to clarify a lot of things that people wanted to know about it. But as we move closer and closer to more franchises, more players, more games, bigger gates, You've made the point to me that the the current CBA negotiation is going to be very, very intricate because are we looking at full-time now, full-time players, full-time franchises, or are we still some way off that? Well, I suppose that's the aim, Ger, and that's what the clubs want and that's what the players want. And I suppose as a sign of where it's heading, we also see now this preseason for the first time ever that clubs, the majority of them at this stage now, will be hosting a daytime, at least one daytime training of their scheduled trainings in a week. So this this is a massive step forward. Previously to this, across the last seven or eight seasons, um, training has exclusively been at nighttime or at weekends. And that's mainly to facilitate the fact that most of the Australian-based players would have had uh, careers or would have been working or would have been studying at the time. So this is a massive step forward. But again, the critical thing here, this is driven by the players and the clubs. It isn't coming from the AFLW. So the clubs have, have responded to the players and they're now training at least one day a week. So that, I suppose, is a small step, but a major step 
towards full-time professionalism. Now, in terms of the CBA, this is the topic of discussion every year, uh, mainly because uh, the competition is growing so fast and things are changing so quickly. Last year, we were dealing with the change of dates and all of that and the expansion teams. This year now, we have a scenario where there's a joint CBA being negotiated for the first time with the AFL men's competition. So that in itself is a historic event and obviously something that's, that's worthy of a lot of time and effort that's been put into to dealing with the CBA. But, but what it means is, at the moment, as we've said there, there's no um, current new pay deal for the players. They don't have a fixture. So at the moment, all the clubs and players are working off the rollover of last year's pay deal, which in itself was historic. You remember the the salaries mm-hmm. almost doubled, like increased by 96, 97% last season. So that was brilliant. There's likely to be another little increase again. But the main point of topic and the main sticking point, I suppose, is that the players and the clubs want to drive AFLW towards a full-time competition. Now that there's 18 teams, uh, since I talked to you last, we didn't even get to mention that a new franchise has been announced in Tasmania. So that's not going to happen in the next year or two for the women's, but there is going to be another AFLW team at some stage, probably around 2028 20, or something like that. So that, that's exciting in itself. But the, the women's players and clubs want to get to a full-time professional competition by 2026. This is the date that we've all kind of been hearing from the players and the AFL Players Association across the last number of years. There are 18 clubs now. At the moment, they're only playing 10 round games, so they're not getting to play each other. Everyone wants to play each other. So that's the main focus of the players, the clubs, and the AFL Players Association. But in terms of the AFL themselves and the AFLW, they seem to be looking at a slightly longer time frame um, of getting to that full-time professional that's possibly somewhere closer to 2030, if you were to look at their vision for women's footy, which they published in 2021, um, where they stated at the time that it comes into force that AFLW players will be the highest paid female athletes in Australia. So that's going to be fantastic. The main issue is when does it happen? Mm. Players want 2026, the AFL, AFLW seem to want to push it a bit down the line a bit and keep playing 10 rounds, 11 rounds for another few seasons. The players just want growth. This is a juggernaut of a train that's moving forward and the players want growth, the clubs want growth. So that's what everybody is uh, sitting around the table for, I suppose. And at some stage, hopefully across the next few weeks or a month, they'll, they'll figure it out. But as it stands, again, yet again, and I suppose you've got to feel for the players a little bit, there still is no certainty really in terms of um, how many rounds is going to be, what the fixture is, uh, what the new pay deal is, what the lint contracts are, all that sort of stuff that these players have to face on a year-in, year-out basis. But they're just brilliant. They just get, they're just they getting on with it. The, the competition is excelling year-on-year, year, as you've seen every time we talk about it. So they will figure it out. Um, I think the fans would love to see it sooner rather than later as well. So it's just a question of getting that agreement. And it's interesting as well to now see some of the AFL men's players and some notable names putting their weight behind the argument that the, the women's competition should be allowed to expand as quickly as they want to. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's intricate, it's difficult, it's not a straightforward negotiation. I think there are parallels with, dare I say, the rugby in Ireland. When the rugby went professional, there was a lot of toing and froing before things eventually got started on the men's side. It's only now that the women are getting started uh, in the women's game here in, in, in Munster and in Ireland. 
I think this is going to be a long drawn out process but I think a target date is probably the best thing for the AFLW that they have a target date and they've got support clearly from how you've outlined there so thanks very much for outlining and explaining um, what the CBA is and what it means Mike um, I think it's something we're going to be talking about along with a lot of other subjects over the coming weeks and months but uh, we'll be concentrating on the footy in the meantime where can we find your content on social media? Oh, as always, you're at AFLW underscore Ireland on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, the whole lot. Um, it's ramping up. We've, we've stuff going up every day now at this stage with all the players departing and arrival and, and hitting the tracks for their first sessions, getting their numbers for the season, all that sort of stuff. So there's, there's wall-to-wall content already, uh, even though we're probably 12 weeks away from a game. But look at, on, on the positive side, we have 32 Irish players to look forward to watching in season 2023. There is an a very small outside chance. There are still four spots available on lists due to people retiring across the last number of weeks. So um, there's a very small chance that might even increase, which would be phenomenal. But there's 32 Irish players. That's the highest ever across all eight seasons so far. That's super exciting. Uh, We've players from all over Ireland playing in in the majority of the clubs at the FLW at this stage. And we're even seeing it at our in there across the social medias. Um, that there's massive interest already and massive support for these for these players and huge excitement uh, as we build up to the season we're still a bit away away from it but the build up already is getting exciting Well I can tell you there's huge excitement here in Cork Shred FM's big red bench as well as we gear up for the biggest ever Irish contingent taking part in the AFLW season and no better person to have us ex- explain to us give us in-depth analysis and all the background information than Mike Cran. Mike I always learn something new every time we speak to you and today has been no different it's great to have you back on the big red bench and thank you once again for your time Thank you, Jerry. Pleasure as always. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to offer us her expert opinion on all things rugby and review all the latest provincial, clubs, schools and adult results, scorers and upcoming fixtures. Plus, we have all the latest Munster Rugby and International Rugby news making the headlines. Yes, delighted now to be joined on the line here on the Big Red Bench by our resident uh, women, Munster Women's Rugby expert and still Munster Women's Rugby chairperson. But this is the last week we'll absolutely be able to refer to her as that. But Wendy Keenan, as ever, it's a delight to talk to you. How are you? I'm great, Jerry. Thanks a million. Yeah, just another few days now and I'll be handing over the reins to Grania. So new title. <laughs> yeah, oh, you'll just be a resident expert after that. You'll have to live with that one. Um, it's great to talk to you again. Obviously, the season has concluded. Uh, there's still a bit of international and a little bit of provincial. There's things happening, but probably the thing we wanted to talk about today, which is probably the most important development in the last seven seven days, is the 2023 Munster, uh, annual, Munster Women's Rugby Annual Report. Uh, now, we're not going to go down through every bit of it, but there are some real highlights that we wanted to talk about because it has been that good a season. Starting off with, I think, from your own point, from your own point of view, something you were very happy with this year was the Munster teams and the Irish representation how Munster did at a provincial level but also the players that got to represent their country Yeah I think I mean it's really important that we you know recognise those players we had back to back uh, Interpro wins um, for the last two seasons and that led to the selection of players for the Irish Combined Provinces squad and we saw you know real big performances for the likes of Dervla, Nicovars, Maeve Oak, O'Leary Claire Bennett and Yabreen, Nicola uh, Nicole Cronin, Aoife Doyle, Dorothy Wall and Claude O'Halloran, um, especially Nicola Devar. I mean, Nicola has just had, or sorry, Dervla has just had a huge performance this year. 
And um, and from that, then, you know, we had six players get on the 2023 Women's Six Nations squad. Again, Dervin Nicovard, uh, Dorothy Wall, Aoife Doyle, Mae Vogo, O'Leary, Enya Breen, Nicole Cronin. And I'm sure that there's a few more knocking on the doors. Um, but look, really strong performances. Nicole was a little bit unlucky getting injured, you know what I mean, towards the end of that. But um, I suppose, you know, we always mention the pathways and we need to see those pathways going to the green jersey. Um, the Munster uh, as well there was 11 Munster players selected for the Women's National Squad programme which is referred to as WNTS I know you're always pushing that more players should be getting on this and from particularly from the province but in a year that Munster did so well how happy are you to see some of the names that have uh, have, have been uh, promoted onto that Oh yeah really happy and I suppose with new structures that we spoke about um, last week um, that's really important that um, this, this development area this national talent program is going to increase in size, you know, especially now when we have Nia Briggs based in Limerick um, and an SNC coach as well in with her, working with her. So those girls can really get a taste of what the expectation is at a national level. And that will see their development grow even further. And I, I mean, I keep mentioning it, but that has a ripple effect to their friends because mm. no doubt they share programs and share advice. And then the expectations within the club and the club structures also um, improve with those things going on. So, um, yeah, really good uh, initiative there coming through. Now, something else that you always talk so uh, passionately and positively about, because it's probably the, the, the most honest of, of all the, the grades, is the minis. And it's something I think that it was probably a very good idea and something that was executed brilliantly by the volunteers again, who you talk about. But was this the big surprise story of the season, the volume of minis that were involved? Not only just the volume of the young girls that got involved, the number of volunteers mm. and the... I suppose the way the minis nearly run themselves, you know what I mean, independent of the committee. We have a fabulous new uh, mini rep um, taking up the mantle there for the coming season, Norma. But 28 clubs participated in girls only minis throughout the season. That's over 530 girls participating who's been on a weekly basis. And then if we look at the Give It A Try programme, we have 27 clubs um, participating. They're all finishing up now and this week, next week, probably the week after, with two new clubs, Carrigaline and uh, Corcon participating this year. But yeah, the volume of mini girls participating in the minis only events is just huge and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So much so that we probably have to subdivide it a little bit north and south for the coming season. My but that's gosh. a good complaint. It is, but I think it was. It was something that whenever we talked about it on the on the bench this season, it was always the volume of, of, of numbers that you kept quoting. And like with, with mini programs like that, with kids that small and young, you know, there's lots of other stuff going on uh, in their lives. Um, to keep the numbers at the numbers that you have and now to grow it to the point where you're actually going to have to split it into, into kind of divisions is just fantastic. What I, what I love about minis is that even if you've got a club and, you know, they mightn't have a big number travelling on a particular day and it's five, the club comes with their five and they join up like a barbarian style and um, you know what I mean with another club to make sure that the girls get get rugby. But the most important thing, those girls are making fo- are making friends, you know, friends that they're going to play against at under 14, under 16, under 18. They might even be in a red jersey together. You know, we have the camps um, happening, the residential camps happening um the summer again in in Bandon uh, starting in August and you know what I mean I think there was two or three paces left in it and you know what I mean it's just the friendships I think is really important and the fun element is really important you know to we don't want that drop off rate of girls giving up sport so you know for that for that element alone it's worth it. It certainly is and look it's it's something that I, I love talking to you about because I see 
the passion and the, and the excitement and just the, the commitment that the committee has put into this and, and it's been replicated by volunteers because they now see the value in it and if the numbers don't grow then look it doesn't happen but my god have they grown and speaking of growing numbers we turn to the youths, the youth section. I'm going to let you give us the, the numbers that are detailed in the Munster report at the end, or end, or end of your report, but I'm just going to list very quickly the winners of the league competitions and the youth sections this year. The Manway Bantry winning the under-14, Balancholic Dolphin winning the under-16, and Ennis Kilrush winning the under-18 and a half. Well done to each of those. Uh, two or three amalgamations, brilliant to see that happening um, and winning those league competitions. The Cups, the Manway Bantry winning the 14, Clannacilty winning the 16, Carrick and Short Turles winning the under-18 and a half, under-14 played going to Ballina, Killaloo, Scarif, under 16 plate going to Ennis, under 18 and a half plate going to Balancholic, and then the under 14s, the Shield to Killarney, the Bolt to Balancholic, the under 16 Development Cup going, Development Cup going to Brough, and then the under 18 and a half Development Cup going to Skibreen and Bantry Bay. Again, look at the wide breadth of clubs. Look at the number of clubs that had success between 14 and 18 and a half, but backed up by the numbers that you have in this report. I think this is the clearest indication yet, Wendy. Whatever about the minis, whatever about the schools, this is the clearest indication in youths that Munster women's rugby has never been healthier? Yeah, and I think the important thing there when you're calling out all those winners um, is that we're seeing, you know, I mean, a, a diversity across yeah. the province. And that's really important. What we don't want to see is two or three clubs dominating, you know what I mean, the performances and winning all the competitions, you know what I mean, that we're really exposing the girls. I think we had 20 clubs um, represented at semi-final stages of the cup competitions alone. Um, which was great, you know what I mean? But if we look, uh, as you said, you know, 56 teams participating and 1,237 registered girls appearing on team sheets, that's an increase of 153 girls from last season. Um, And that's really important because we have more registered, but we're only counting the girls that are registered that are actually appearing week in, week out on, on team sheets. And then we talk about girls getting meaningful rugby. And to us is that, you know, they're playing five or six matches minimum. You know, especially if they're playing multiple sports, you might say, why are you only saying five or six, Wendy? Because most of these girls are playing football and soccer and hockey and everything else. So 870 of those girls played six matches or more throughout the season. That's an increase of 248 from last season. And 367 girls played five matches or less. So that's a decrease of 95, which is actually a positive because they're playing less than five matches. And that is a huge number, a huge increase for us in terms of girls being exposed to, to meaningful rugby. And when you look at the breakdown, 456 at under 14, 452 at, uh, under 16, and 329 at um, 18.5. And I suppose that's our area that we're targeting now is the drop-off after under 16. And that's reflective of all sports. And that's why Sport Ireland brought out that wonderful document about girls in sport and that every club, no matter what their sport is, should read, um, you know, addressing the key elements why girls participate. Yes, and I think rugby has probably adhered to that and made the most out of that probably more so than other sports I'm not suggesting for a second that other sports aren't popular or doing as well ladies football camogie soccer all the other things or basketball as well and rowing and all those other things that go on but for me I think the 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 numbers and the sustaining of the numbers from last year and growing on them that's the sign that you're making progress that's the sign that the sport is still attractive to a newer audience and even I'm just realising now those numbers that you've mentioned there from youths that's registered we're not even talking about unregistered players players that turn up and train players that just don't just want to be part of it like and it's it's not just focused on Cork it is a monster 
women's rugby initiative that is being successful. And I think that's very important because yes, we're Red FM, yes, we're the big red bench and we're Cork, but we've always talked uh, as much as we possibly can about Munster and we like to focus on Munster. We like to talk about Ballinacle, we like to talk about Scarf, we like to talk about Thurles, we like to talk about all these clubs and Brough and all these other clubs that are doing great things on the ground and for the volunteers. And I hope when they listen to this, that again from next season on when we cover it again, we're going to cover it even more and get more and more names out there. It it is it's a beast though, Wendy, in terms of um organization, in terms of fixtures, and this is where um look there's other sections of the report I think we're going to leave for next week because I wanted to focus in on the minis. I wanted to focus in on particularly um, on the youths. And what I really want to talk about next week is the schools along with yeah. the adults. And I think we need more time to do that. And Jerry, I think I think the, the important element that we need to highlight here is we restructured our whole season plan to let the girls finish off their GA season and then go into the rugby season. So for years, I think we're all trying to compete at different sports. It doesn't work. It's not fair to be asking 13, 14 year olds to choose what sport, what match they're going to be playing. You know, mean at a weekend when they want to be playing them all. So we just moved our season back a few weeks and it seems to have worked and our numbers are showing it. They certainly are, and to the to the point where we're talking about a report where we're going to need two uh, episodes, basically, of the podcast to do it because I don't want to lose sight of something very important. I want to get into the school. So next week on the Big Red Bench, we will talk about another two other very important elements of this report, and that is the rise in schools rugby, which I think has been huge, and the success stories that were the adult club and all the success for the Munster women's clubs in rugby. We'll, we'll give more time to that next week. But before we finish this week, we have a, an interesting managerial appointment um, that is an important. Uh, an important day for UL Bohemians. Yeah, so Fee Hayes um, moves back to UL Bowles as head coach. Mia Briggs has stepped down. I'm sure that's part of her new role in mm. as the talent squad um, programme that she's stepped back from that. And Fee Hayes is returning to her home ground, her club, so I'm sure they're delighted to have her back. Mm. And um, she'll be delighted to be going back there. You know what I mean? She's back, to, I suppose, to her friends and girls that she would have worked with you know, when she was the under-18 coach. Um, yeah, so a big announcement for them during the week and we wish them very best of luck. I mean, they're all going to be back training, imagine, in the next few weeks. Oh it only just seems that they've finished. But um, And the other thing to mention is that our under-17 summer programme kicks off this evening. So I just want to wish the girls um, the very best of luck. So they start this evening with an information evening with the uh, the parents and the expectations, uh, you know what I mean, around training on the pitch tomorrow in Limerick. And... Um, They'll be off the pitch in the gym as well, doing their work in the gyms. So uh, just wishing them the very best of luck. Yes, and uh, we echo that here as well. And it just never ends. There's always something. There's something happening in the Munster Women's Rugby World, uh, even during the summer months. And it's great to see that. As we said, uh, we've gone through uh, some of the main points from the Munster Women's Annual Report for 2023. We've talked about the Munster teams and the Irish representatives. We've talked about the minis, which we wanted to give a bit of time to, and the youths. And next week, we will focus in on the schools and as well as at the adult teams, because we want to give those a bit more time, because they have been huge success stories for you as well but until then uh, and in your final final uh, big red bench appearance as the Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson next week you're just an expert but what an expert uh, thanks once again Wendy Keenan for, for your time thanks a million Jerry delighted to be on miss the show grab the big red bench podcast at redfm.ie Cork's red fm it has not been the best of weekends for the cork camogie setups with defeat for both the cork senior and intermediate intercounty championship teams recently on the in the glendimplex intermediate all ireland intermediate championship uh, cork traveled to kilkenny and lost 213 to 18 uh, but now have two more home games in their group 1 
to try and secure a place in the knockout stages. They face Dublin uh, on Saturday here in Cork and that's followed then by on the 1st of July another home game against Galway. It's the same for the Cork seniors who uh, suffered a disappointing 1-12 to 12 points defeat in Athenry against Galway in Group 1 of their Glen Dimplex Senior All-Ireland Championship but uh, Matthew Toomey and his side will be back in action on the 17th of June when they host Down and then they finish their group uh, stage with a difficult away trip to Ennis when they take on Clare on the 1st of July. I caught up with both managers this past week here on the Big Red Bench to find out how they have they and their players have been bouncing back from those disappointments. We'll hear from Trevor Coleman, the Cork Intermediate Manager, about how he's following his team's loss to Kilkenny, obviously 2-13-1-8, and how preparations are going for this weekend's game with Dublin. But first, here's the Cork Senior Manager, Matthew Toomey, to talk us about the 112-12 defeat to Galway, uh, a growing injury list, and what Cork have to do in their upcoming championship games against Down and Clare to prolong their season. Delighted to be joined on the line now by the Cork Camogie Senior Manager, Matthew Toomey, to look ahead to the county's upcoming uh, Glen Dimplex Senior All-Ireland Championship group matches against Down and against Clare, which uh, occur over the next couple of weeks, and briefly talk about uh, a disappointing defeat up in Galway in Athenry uh, as of last weekend. But uh, Matthew, once again, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench and thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Let's just start with that Galway game. Um, a one twelve to 12 point defeat. Uh, when you're looking at that on paper and you're reading the match reports, it sounds quite close. Uh, reading the match reports, you know, uh, you were well on top in the first half, uh, looking really good. And then was it the 10 second half wides that was the most frustrating thing for you and the management team? Because you end up losing by a goal, but it sounds like you had enough chances to win that game and that it's, it's frustration more than anything else is what's coming out of this game. Yeah, um, frustration is probably the, the main word to use. All right, um, I suppose for the last few weeks we've been just concentrating on trying to get a, a decent performance up there, um, and like the first half we totally not really dominated the game. Um, we came off three points up at half time, but we should have probably been six, maybe seven points up. Um, and then the second half we started off okay, but just the way we started creeping in and just it was just insane. Um, Long options were used or free taking, long range free taking was poor. Like, and, like, you know, to have that kind of conversion rate, I think it was 15% in the second half is our conversion rate. It's, it's like, it's simply not, obviously not good enough, like, but it's very frustrating. As you say, like, um, you know, they, they were there for the taking. We were definitely the better team. All the stats showed that. It was just the most important part is putting the ball over the bar and we couldn't do it. And that, that's the frustrating side of it, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that it's Galway, I suppose, more than anything, uh, Matthew, like it's not like you don't know each other well enough at this stage. But look, these are things you can work on. These are things that I suppose that the time that you've got now, because you play, you don't play down until the 17th of June. There's a bit of time in between to go back to the training pitch and really go at it. I mean, as frustrating and as disappointing as it was to come away from Athenroy with that defeat, I mean, the time that you have now to work on these things, is that a bonus or would you rather have had a game quickly straight away? Um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd say we'd be happy enough for the two week break just to work on stuff, as you say. Um, like, if, I suppose like, you'd be trying to put a, a kind of bright thing on everything, but um, we, like, if we were up there and play, played full tilt and, and you know had no wides and you got beat by goals, probably more of a worry. Like the, the fact that we have stuff to work on again, you know, there is like you know you have to take, take the positives out of us. You know, sometimes it's hard, but you have to do that. Like and. You know, like yeah, this, this, this working on the, the shooting, like we have been doing this, but it's just one of those days, I suppose. Like which, which unfortunately we're having at the moment with the conversion rate. But yeah, look, we, we'll work away and we look forward to the down game. Certainly. 
Yeah, and look, I know you, you're just not a person for making excuses. You never have been since you've we've we've been dealing with you since you became Cork manager. So I'm going to say it on your behalf. But like Pamela Mackey, Laura Hayes, Orla Cronin, Ashling Thompson, Kiro Sullivan, Livy McAllen, Katie Manny, these are seven players out with injury and with respect they would get onto most inter-county teams it's not an excuse and I know you're not going to make excuses but like when you lose seven players like that at this stage and you're coming into the championship that's got to hurt things and it's got to it's got to upset the balance I suppose for you and the backroom team Matthew that you've got to integrate a lot of players quicker than you would have liked yeah the, 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 the definitely like yeah, as you said it's not an excuse because I suppose the panel we have still available to us is, is plenty strong enough for us like for um, you, you just miss a lot of characters out in the field like obviously you know there's a lot of them are kind of leaders out in the field and to drive things on when you need them so that's that's where that would hurt like but um, it's tough on them as well because look a lot of them are doing rehab sessions now they're watching training and it's tough on them because look the time is running out now like we've, we've like we're we're probably in knockout stages now because look we, we can't afford to lose any game or our season's over like so they're, they're watching on and it's tough on them and look it's yeah we would we would love to have a call off. Um, some of them are the best players in the country, and on their day, like and, and you know to have them available will be a massive boost. Like, but look, we have to play with the hand of cards we have. Like, but um, there's others getting opportunities and, and fair play to them. Like, and you know we're 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 hoping we can kick on a bit with that. Like, and just on that, I mean the return of Katrina Mackey. How important is it, especially considering how many players are out? Absolutely huge. Um, she played twenty minutes all year for us, and. You know, like obviously she's she's not fully match fit, but the performance she put in Saturday was, was ridiculous. She got four points in the first half that were you know top draw and she got two freezes as well in the second half. Um no, she's just cast to have her own you know, she's just you know, head and shoulders above a lot in the country. Like she's she's um just a great, great, great player, like and a great person that as well. Certainly is. Um, looking ahead, uh, Down put up a decent fight against Clare. They lost, uh, was it, 211 to 119 in their opening group match as well. And you face Down uh, on the 17th of June. Does it matter that it's at home, uh, Matthew? I mean, from logistics, obviously it's a bonus, but does it matter? I mean, is it just a case of, look, you've just got to go, wherever this game is, you've really just got to go and win it now? Yeah, that's that's it. Like, you know, we've been tossed down practice key, which is great, Like, but all these things don't matter. Like, it's, it's this game that we're looking for. Um, another performance we we played them I think three years ago up and down um, and we struggled over them they, 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 they just you know they, they quit the teeth and, and, and you know they, they really came at us um, that time when it was in the last kind of 10 15 minutes we pulled away from them so we, we expect nothing less like you know it's a big day for them coming and playing us like we have a target on our back all the time so look we have to put in the performance we have to worry about ourselves but like we won't be getting you know, I think this team know that they're they're kind of really focused on getting the performance out there and you know not worrying about anything else what's going on around there. Like, and as I say, if it's not going, no, we have to beat them. We have to put in the performance. And with that in mind, I mean, your defence has been one of the plus points throughout the year, even when results have gone against you. Um, and I mean, like, uh, you know, you take away, I mean, God, we got 112 on the day against you in, in the most recent game, but like seven of those uh, were from freeze and it was only late on that they got the late goal. I mean, your defence has been solid considering the number of people that have been coming in and out of it. Is that is that a fair comment or is there still work to be done? No, the, 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 like our full backline has been just unbelievable. Um, may have Lydian, may have Callan, they're, they're just, you know, the, the pressure they were on there at times, like in the heat and, you know, your concentration levels obviously, you know, have to dip in the heat and, and you know, the, the dehydration and all that, but they were outstanding. Um, you know, Tracy Marshall's everything in front of them as well. Like, you know, 
we've um, no, we've been very pleased with the defence the way they worked. And um, you know, obviously there is improvements need to be there. Like and, and you know, it's it, it, if you can get them things right, you know, they, they're hard. Like you want to score off that that back line, To be fair to them, like and and you know, they're the springboard to everything as well. You know, the way they drive forward and. So, like, you know, I suppose from, from last year, you were, like, our, our, our main stay of the line was the half-back line was um, Laura Hayes, Laura and Saoirse, like, and, you know, we're, we're down to only Laura Tracy because we had to push Laura Hayes, Saoirse McCarthy, sorry, up the field because we were missing our two midfielders from last year with Katie and Ashton and then Kira Sullivan in the midfield in the All-Ireland final and she's gone as well. So, you know, this, we had to push Saoirse up forward um, into the midfield line, so... You take that out as a halfback and from last year, which was the best halfback line in the country. Like it's still a fair achievement on, on, on the lads who came in as well. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, does the fact, as you've said, just finally, Matthew, these two final group games at home to Down on the seventeenth of June, and then away to Clare in Cusick Park in Ennis on the first of July. Th- these are knockout games now, all the way. I mean, that's the mentality your players have. But I've noticed with this team, with this group over the years, you've been very, very close to All Ireland's, very, very close to national league titles. It's when your backs have been put up against the wall, pardon the pun, that you really have come out and delivered. And there's a lot of players on this panel that are getting an opportunity, you know, maybe earlier than they expected. These two games now are their chance to lay down a marker and establish themselves. So there's everything to gain from these two games, despite the defeat in Galway. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, like I do on about young players, are, like we, we, Isa Healy, you know, she was in minor last year, and we gave her the task of marking Nico Dunno, and she kept going to a point, and even that point, like, you know, Eva could, Eva Healy could do nothing about it. Like, so like the horn knows after springboarding into this, and it's, it's like she's after grasping it, no problem. Like, I suppose you try to put a positive twist in it, and we've been here before. Like, I remember in my first year in 2014, we got hammered by Wexford down Wexford Park in the first round of the championship, and um, we bounced back one in All Ireland the following year. They got beaten in, in, in down the stairs against Wexford again, a bad beating again, turned around one All Ireland. So, I, it's look. I've no doubt we can turn this around. I, I, I'm, I'm still confident there, but was that we have a rattle off this, like you know, we're down definitely. You know, like, but as you say, we're back to the wall. It's up to us now, collectively as a group, to, to bounce this back. Like our mentality has to be go home in every game, or, or we're, we're done. And like potentially eight weeks left in this. Um, so like, you know, we go back training now tonight and. and that is the conversation that's going to be had and it's going to be positive talk and it's going to be you know, giving it all, all and, and, and doing our best and we can do more after that. You certainly can't. Once again, here on the Big Red Bench, thanks very much for your time. The Cork Camogie Senior Manager, Matthew Toomey, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, on the line with us here on the Big Red Bench now is the Cork Intermediate Camogie Manager, Trevor Coleman, who is going to look ahead to Cork's remaining two Group 1 matches in this year's Dendimplex Intermediate All-Ireland Intermediate Camogie Championship. Uh, Trevor, you're very welcome back to the bench. Uh, thanks for being John. Thanks for having us. No, it's never easy talking after a defeat, but unfortunately that's where we're at. Uh, Cork travelled uh, up to Kilkenny and lost 2.13 to 1.8 in your group opener um, last weekend. Uh some context I suppose first first question is the fact that Kilkenny had beaten Dublin had a game under their belts Trevor and this is not an excuse but the fact that they had a full inter-county championship group game under their belts was that a factor in this do you think or was there more to it? No I think I, I think it's actually used uh, and just going back to like again we've 18 new players this year and you can say what you want about the league and about the one start but mm. when you come to the all year and all and series it brings a different 
a different animal, you know. So I think with 18 new goals going up there and not have to play in that till their game, unfortunately, I think it was a huge factor within the game, within the, the, what happened in the game. But again, it wanted to be all and end all. Kilkenny was a better team on the day. I've no doubt about it. They were they were going for us after beating Kilkenny twice this year. They were really up for it. We just couldn't get to the pitch of the game on the day. I don't know, it was down to the bus journey in the heat or was it were we a bit complacent after beating them twice this year I, I, I did see it all week that training did go well but I, I was nervous I knew it was a bit of a banana skin going up to sign beat Kilkenny for the third time and even the bus journey going up I thought we were a little bit nervous a bit quiet so I, I, I was worried all week and I was more worried about the journey going up there so hopefully we can take some positives in that and not but again look we're, we're still there but we're not out you know yeah, like as you said, 18 players and the turnover and the churn and the players that have moved up to the senior ranks just the way it is this season. This is part and parcel of being the intermediate manager and you well know down through the years. Um, is there positives to take from a Trevor heading into the next two games? Yeah, I think it is. Look, we went in a goal up at half time after playing very poorly. You know, so that that is, that is one positive. And look, after the game, the girls called them, themselves in themselves. They went down to the corner, had a chat amongst themselves. And I believe from talking to the captain, that that went very positively. You know, they, they, I don't need to tell these girls. They know when when they, I once said they didn't play well, but things didn't go right for us, and we didn't get the result we wanted. Look, they, they're harder on on themselves, and I probably are harder on them. So I know tonight we'll be training tonight, and they, they'll come back a different a different animal tonight. And look, I won't say it's a good time to lose but uh, again we have time to read them ourselves is great that's sport you can get back on the house and we have a game this weekend to try and rectify things and uh, I, I think we will but again we just can't take Dublin for granted we have two tough games Dublin and Galway ahead of us yes they're both at home which will help we don't have the bus journey uh, in this heat which look I'm not using as an excuse but uh, it's great to have home games and hopefully we can still qualify by, by winning our two home games Yeah I, I, look it's the same point we put to the senior manager Matthew Toomey already the fact look this is cliche alert back to the wall now I mean you know you're in championship or, or camogie because when you lose a game in your group you really do have to take maximum points if at all possible from the remaining games to pr- remove any doubt of you getting into the knockout stages you've mentioned the fact that it's two home games and fair enough but I also think it is fair to ask the question in terms of the conditions and the heat at this time of the year at the moment Trevor you can't practice in this and you can't get ready for it during the winter months obviously but the fact, now that you have a game under your belts, let's flip the coin that we talked about Kilkenny with the two games that they had. The fact that your players now have that championship game in intense heat up in Kilkenny under their belts and the fact that they had that meeting after the game, you know now in terms of motivation, there's no worries about motivation going into the Dublin game, but there can't be any complacency just because Dublin lost to Kilkenny either. No, no, there can't be. And I, I, I don't think there will be. Look, I, I, I think, like I'm saying, it was a bit of complacency. We'll, we'll meet tonight and we'll discuss that and see what, what the players' uh, opinion was of that. But, no, I, from here on, look, it's, it's like an old all Ireland. It's not going from here on. If we lose any game from here on, we're gone. You know, even, um, like, it doesn't depend on our other results. We just have to beat Dublin. We have to beat Galway. And we should be through to a quarter final then. So, destiny is in our own hands again. But, look, you wouldn't like it any other way. You know, we knew even beat Kenny, we'd want to win the last two. Uh, anyway, but again, look, we just have to knuckle down and get back on the horses, they say, and to play as best we can do for, for Dublin and Saturday. And look, these conditions are, are a bit different. Like we were only saying two weeks ago, every night we've played so far this year has been raining. So it was, it was a huge turnaround to go off from that heat. And and Kilkenny did play Dublin the week before, probably in some similar conditions to that heat. So again, they probably had one over us. But again, look, we can't do that as next year. 
we have to look inside ourselves and see what happened and look deep inside ourselves and prepare for something, you know. Can I just ask you, as an intercounty Camogie manager, um, you pretty much and your mentors might have the 15 in your head, maybe you do, maybe you don't, for the Dublin game. Does the weather and how it might affect certain players, not that they're not good enough to start, but does that affect your thinking and planning going into a game? You're thinking, like, this player is very important to us, but if she's covering that X amount of ground, like, come the last 15, 20 minutes, like, you know, irrespective of how she's playing, we might have to take her off and get on fresh legs. Or does that, do you just have to wait yeah, on the day? Yeah, no, it does to be fair. Look, and look, a great man always told me he has got God rest his soul, Paulo Connor. It's hostile for courses. You look at the opposition, you look at the conditions on the day, uh, weather conditions suit some players, mightn't suit other players. We are there's not the same as saying out there, sunshine players. You know, so you, you might have a few of them that like the hard ground, like Leanna Sullivan last week is carrying an after the last two weeks, so we decided not to start off. You know, and she'd be a huge player within our ranks. She said he's up the whole lot, you know. So again, you have to take a lot into consideration. It's not conditioned to take slight knocks, which happens around this time because you're playing every week. And, and it, it, the All-Ireland is not 100%. You, you can't really go out there and play. You know? So there's a lot of things to take into consideration. And yes, they, like, you're obviously going to use your fight, your fight substitutions and weather conditions like this, which is huge as well. You have to try and get that drilled into the panel. If you think that one factor, there will be an impact and you want them to finish out the game, you know? Yeah, and as you said, look, the position that you find yourselves in, it's two must-win games. You're at home. The players now are pretty laser-focused on what they've got to do. I would imagine uh, the training this week is going to be particularly important. Out of all the weeks you've been training, heading into these two games, this this is probably the most important week? Yeah, it, it, look, it's, it's the biggest week we have, I suppose, in, in the last two years being involved with this team. It, it, it's winner-takes-all on Saturday, so training will be intense tonight. I'd say we'll have to just pull it back again on Tuesday right, because of the conditions. But tonight will be fairly intense and we'll have to push them to the limits, I suppose, again tonight and then see where we're at and take a team on Tuesday night based on that. Well, everybody here in the Big Red Bench, Trevor Coleman wishes you and the Cork Intermediate panel and your selectors all the best. You host Dublin uh, on Saturday, June the 10th in the second game in Group 1 of this year's Glen Dimplex Intermediate All-Ireland Championships before hosting Galway on the 1st of July as well. Um, best of luck in that game and we will talk to you and get the uh, reaction from the Dublin game um, next week. Uh, thanks for being The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. On Saturday the 10th of June in McDonough Park, Nina in County Tipperary, the All-Ireland Under-14 Championship Series Finals will take place. The Under-14 Bronze Final between Clare and Wicklow throws in at 1.30 and then at 3.30pm the Under-14 Platinum, which is the top graded final, takes place at the same uh, McDonough Park venue, Cork versus Mayo. This is Cork's second All-Ireland Under-14 Platinum final appearance in as many years, having lost to Kerry in an absolutely cracking match at Parkering last year. I caught up with JJ DC, the Cork Under-14 manager, to find out how he and his squad are preparing for what should be a cracking encounter. Now, on Saturday the 10th of June, the LGFA All-Ireland Under-14 Championship Series Finals take place in McDonough Park, Nina County Tipperary. The Under-14 Bronze Final between Clare and Wicklow at one thirty precedes the big one, the Under-14 Platinum Final between Cork and Mayo with a 3.30pm throw-in. Delighted to say that the Big Red Bench will be live uh, present and with live updates throughout the afternoon for that particular game and we're also delighted once again uh, to have the Cork manager JJ DC with us here on the bench JJ you're very welcome back how are you? I'm very well thanks Joe um, We're nearly there uh, he said and it's been a long journey for you and your mentors and for this particular squad but on Saturday you finally get out onto the pitch and you take on Mayo what has been happening over the past week and how has the build up gone for you and the players? Well, it's just you know back to basics after the after the semi final and, and working on the 
a few areas we, we felt we needed to improve on. Uh, you know, making sure that all the girls are, are, are well prepared for the for the, the biggest day of the year for in, in their calendar. It certainly is. And for Cork as well, obviously for yourself and for the backroom team last year, uh, I hate, I keep going back to it, but it was a, an unbelievably good All-Ireland final, brilliant All-Ireland final last year with Kerry and Parky Ring uh, losing out in the end by a point after extra time. But this time around, the, this year's under-14 Platinum final, uh, it's Mayo who defeated a very good Kildare team in the semi-final. It's going to be equally as tough. But for you, JJ, and the mentors, player, before we talk about the players, is it, has it been easier this time round? Is you know a learning curve when you're playing and looking after an inter-county team in that you kind of know what to expect? Well, we know what to expect really from from the, from the format of the competition, but you know every day is is a is a learning curve with a, with a team. You know, you you we see things that we need to improve, and we t- see things that are working working well. As to, uh, and and this changes because it's a, it's a short season with with you know with, at uh, four sixty minute matches at most. So you know you're learning as you go along with your squad and trying to improve them as best you can and get them prepared for the. For the for the final, but uh, we we have been doing that, and um, we're we're very happy with the with the progress of the girls, the way they they've responded to training and and where they are in terms of their skill set. And um, look, we're under no illusion; it was going to be a, a big challenge for us. They're they're an excellent team. We, we played them in the blitz. We saw them playing uh, after us the last day against uh, Kildare. They're an excellent football side, and there'll be nothing easy on the day. So look, we're we're prepare the girls as well as best we can so that they're up for the challenge on the day. Um, the recent hot weather conditions, and I know you would have played in it, but recently with the high temperatures, and it was the same last year actually for the for the under-14 Platinum Final, it's looking like in Nina and Tipperary on Saturday that it's going to be quite warm. Obviously you will prepare accordingly and look for hydration and all that, but comes with inter-county, but with the weather the way it is, does that alter the approach anyway or do you just get on with it? No, we just get on with it. Um, you know, we 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 could be playing in, in in bright sunshine. We could be playing in rain. We just whatever conditions are there in the evening in training, we we get on with it. Um, like our 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 fitness training is done. It's done for a good while now. So we're not going to make any any massive improvements in that in in, in a week or two. You know, we just have to get the girls. You know. Mentally prepared for now more than anything else, and um, you know we have a, a big panel of players, so we have um, we have unlimited subs, so we can and we can replace anybody that's feeling the feeling the effects of 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 the, of the weather or otherwise on the day. And that's good news for you, JJ, because such is the depth and quality of your squad. It's been very difficult. I know you've told us over the course of the season, just even picking a starting 15 has been quite difficult. Everybody got their shot into blitzes, which was great. But heading into this final, uh, without giving away the team, obviously, but are there some headaches for you and the, and the mentors still deciding on one or two oh, positions? Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it's it's, it's uh, bordering on an impossible task every week. We've never had the same team starting twice in a row and quite likely to be something similar on that lines again the next day you know players perform at different, at different times in training and at matches and you know if somebody's got their hand up for a starting spot you know they have to be given serious consideration all of the turkey you know they're all just one step away from starting you know or one step away from, from, from not starting so you know we've made that very clear to the girls throughout the year and um, it's worked well for us so far Results aside, JJ, has the biggest bonus for you 
been the progression and how well the team has performed right through Munster through the final and since then in that to me I won't say momentum but you've been getting better with each of the games I know you said it's quite compressed in the number of games that the girls actually played 60 minute games but it's clear that what's happening on the training pitch is coming out on the pitch results aside like you have actually been getting better with each game yeah I think that's probably the this year is probably the the, one of the po- positives for us is the fact that the improvement from game to game has been has been very very good. Um, in uh, in terms of both their 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 approach to the game, but also in, in terms of their of their footballing skills. So you know we 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 are really impressed with this group this year in the way in the way they've um, managed to do that. Um, I can't believe it's nearly a year since you played the last final. I mean, I don't know. For me, it seems like not that long ago. But from your point of view and your mentors, uh, has it come around quickly? Has it been an enjoyable year? It's been a great year again. Very enjoyable. Great bunch of girls to work with this year. Um, you know, great, great um, panel and mentors as well. So you know, we we've enjoyed it. Um, there's been a lot of hours put into it, but you know, we've we've achieved our our objectives for the year. We're we're back in the final where we wanted to be after last year so you know you know, we have a chance on the day so you know we'll see what happens on, on Saturday We certainly will Saturday the 10th of June the LGFA All-Ireland Under-14 Platinum Championship Series Final in McDonough Park Nina County Tipperary with a 3.30pm throw in the Under-14 Platinum decider between Cork and Mayo from everybody here on the Big Red Bench in Cork Shed FM JJ we wish you your backroom team and your squad all the very best Thanks very much Joe Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Resident Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench to discuss all the latest on and off track Formula One headlines around the 2023 season. You can find more of Sarah McKenzie Foley's expert Formula One analysis on her active social media accounts on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1, Instagram, MacGram underscore, and on Twitter, MacTweets. Underscore. The 2023 Spanish Grand Prix is in the record books and it finished as expected with Max Verstappen, how often have we been saying that this year on the Big Red Bench and the Red Bull, finishing at a time of 127.57 to take all 26 points. However, he was followed by Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, the Mercedes 1-2, then Sergio Perez in the Red Bull and Carlos Sainz Jr. and Ferrari rounding off the top five. And in a very interesting uh, weekend, both on and off the track, so there's only one person to turn to and that is our resident Red FM Formula 1 expert, that's Sarah McKenzie Foley, who joins me now to discuss the Spanish GP. How are you, Sarah? I'm great. I got to see Lewis Hamilton back on a Formula One podium, so I couldn't be happier. <laughs> How did I know that the opening topic of this week's uh, long list of topics would involve Sir Lewis? Uh, just happy. I, I knew it. I was smiling when I saw him up there. I thought of you. I said, okay, I know what we're talking about first. So let's talk about it because it is, look, Max is Max. The Red Bull is so far ahead of everything else now right now with Max at the helm. It looks like a foregone conclusion barring a disaster. But what happened immediately behind him with Mercedes continuing to build momentum? How important is the double podium first of all Sarah and then how important is it to have a smiling Lewis Hamilton with a contract negotiation going on and and, and all but signed Oh massive I mean when you think about how completely wrong the team was in the you know the direction they originally took with the car and they didn't listen to a lot of the feedback from the drivers and Lewis Hamilton was very vocal about that he felt like they just weren't listening and eventually you know the point was proven things were just getting worse and worse and I think 
this weekend will have done absolute wonders for the whole team. Like, I really don't think you can overstate the level of energy and, you know, reassurance, honestly, um, and kind of confidence that comes back into a team that was dominant for so long and then failed so badly. You know, the the kind of the morale boost that's going to come from this, I think, is is huge. And as you said, you could see it on the driver's faces. You know, they've gone from saying the car is undrivable to saying that actually it felt pretty good. Um, you know, as you said, Max is kind of in league of his own now, but I think that is how it's going to be you know, for most of the races going forward for the rest of the season, you're going to have Max off in his little bubble. The sponsors aren't getting any TV time. They're probably not very happy with it. But um, I think behind him, there's an awful lot of exciting stuff going on and and definitely so are Mercedes. Uh, Again, for somebody who, you know, loves Lewis Hamilton and, you know, has followed his career very, very closely, his comments about, you know what, I don't know. Look, he admitted Max is out in front and Adrian Newey designed car. They're happy about some of the upgrades that are going to be coming to the Mercedes. So this was positive all around. He doesn't really, he didn't really commit to challenging for this year, but he certainly committed to challenging for next year. And that's got to be music for Toto, music for Toto ears, Wool, uh, Toto Wolf's ears, sorry, which have been ringing long enough with bad enough things, but also yeah. a kind of declaration that, okay, Max, okay, Red Bull, we know what you are. We know where you are. We know where we've bounce back from but it's next year we're targeting Doesn't not saying we won't challenge it before the end of the year for sponsors for, for Mercedes that's considering all the negativity as you said Sarah that's been there since mm. the start of the season rightly so that's got to be an even bigger boost 100% and I mean they've overtaken Aston Martin now in the Constructors Championship I mean who would have predicted that at the beginning of the season nobody mm. um, and I think another really important point about what Mercedes have that Aston Martin doesn't is two strong drivers in those cars, you know, the in opposition, you've got, a, you know, Fernando Alonso, who's on fire and making the most of his Aston Martin, but his teammate is underperforming, if anything, versus the ability of the car. So it just goes to show that even with, you know, middle of the road, consistent performances, you could actually outdo a team that really is just relying on one person. So I think the, again, just that, as you said, morale boost that they have, that they've got a really good driver lineup and they've got an improving car is great. And I was actually really pleasantly surprised to hear Lewis say stuff like that about next year. Um, And I guess it just kind of underlines the point that, you know, it's great being in front, but it also means that literally everyone is trying their absolute hardest to take you out like you are everyone wants to knock you off that pedestal so it's tough being in that position too because you're essentially feel like you're being hunted down all the time very true just before we leave that because it's significant because McLaren getting this far up as we said uh, you know two and three is hugely significant for the future uh, of maybe not this season but next season George Russell very coy very kind of childish afterwards in a lot of the interviews having a laugh whatever is he is he still Lewis's number two yeah, I think so. I think does he think um, that it was? I don't think any Formula One driver would like to think of themselves as number two. I think there's drivers that have been forced into admitting that. I think you know Valtteri Bottas is is one. You have like your Rubens Barrichello's from from years ago that I feel like would have you know definitely knew their place. Um, Felipe Massa, people like that. I think. He, George Russell is not one of those drivers. I think he still believes that he is the future of this team, essentially. And I think that that's probably where he's going to hang his hat. I think he sees himself as, however long Lewis is there, I think he sees himself ultimately as the future of that team. 
Yeah, go, you should work for Mercedes. That's a very uh, positive and very down the middle answer. But you did answer <laughs> my question. In the PR department. <laughs> in the PR, yeah. It's all. But I think he's being very careful about what he says is kind of what I'm getting at. And I thought that was interesting because I think he, you, what you said is exactly right. But he's such a good driver, such a consistent driver. You know, give him the right materials and just maybe we might have a battle between the two of those down the line. But let's, let's mm. wait and see. Before we talk about McLaren, because I know you want to talk about McLaren, Aston Martin, how much of a sucker punch is this? Because, you know, we did talk coming into this, look, we, we've talked about, the, you know, the fantastic season they've had. You know, Alonso is a really consistent driver. And yes, Lance Stroll brought it home in sixth this past weekend. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's kind of a bit of a balance there. It's good. It's great to see the two drivers close together, same kind of lap times as well, which is very good for Stroll in terms of race pace yep. and maybe not necessarily qualification. But it's a sucker punch for them, I suppose, mentally more than anything else to see Mercedes now kicking on. I think so. And I think, you know, if they can continue to bring Lance closer to Fernando Alonso's level, then that's really what they're going to have to do. I don't know exactly how they are going to do that, but I think it's going to be essential if they do plan on, you know, getting that position back. I think, I think Fernando had a kind of uncharacteristically tricky weekend. He just didn't really look like he was on top of things at any point, I don't think. So, you know, that's going to happen every now and then to any driver. It doesn't matter how long you've been around. I think, you know, that it is really going to be key for them to bring Stroll closer if they can. That's a, that is an if, mm. it's not a definite, um, to the level of performance that Alonso has because otherwise, you know, it's two beats, two beats one every time. And, uh, and unfortunately they can't kind of, can't go against that really. No, you cannot. You're listening to Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench and we're talking to our resident uh, motorsport and Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, reviewing the Spanish Grand Prix. Let's move on to a team you've talked about quite a lot and been disappointed with in terms of execution and expectation. I mean, we weren't saying they were going to win any championships this year, but McLaren this past weekend is, you know, like there was a bit of a resurgence, but is there more frustration now following what was a really disappointing weekend? I think it was actually maybe a, it's almost like a false positive. I, I don't think they actually expected to get performance out of the car on Saturday that they did out of both cars, I should say. Um, literally nobody would have predicted Lando Norris uh, up there where he was. Uh, and I think Oscar, Oscar Piastri obviously, you know, qualified in a really strong position too. Um, I mentioned this to Aiden on Saturday, but you know, the car clearly had got the most out of the conditions, the cooler conditions on the Saturday. And then Zach Brown came on afterwards and everyone was so excited. And he said, look, we weren't really expecting that. Tomorrow looks very different. And I think, I think the disappointing thing really that came out of the race is that they never really got a chance to prove it because uh, Lando Norris obviously had that coming together with Lewis Hamilton really early on the first lap. And essentially was just kind of plum last for for a lot of the race and just probably had a really hard day. He also, after that, you know, put on a set of hard tires and he was ages in the pit box trying to find a gear to get out. So I think I think Saturday was maybe like a magical set of <laughs> circumstances for them that just happened to work out. But having said that, hopefully it gives them a glimpse of what their drivers could do given the right circumstances. And I think that, if nothing else, has to be a positive indicator. But I think maybe we all got a little bit overexcited on Saturday and we're kind of then disappointed by what happened on Sunday. Speaking of being disappointed on Sunday as a Ferrari 
season ticket holder oh explained to me why both drivers failed to finish in the points for the third time this season. And I'm, I'm being monotone before I start ranting. So I will just clarify. So we obviously had Carlos Sainz who finished in the Sorry. points, but I think, yeah, both so we here. had, they, fa- they failed to bring them both home in a mm. point scoring position. I think Charles Leclerc looked... He really was just not with it at all. And I think that starting a race like that from the pit lane when you're already unhappy with your car and you're saying that it's behaving differently no matter what you do with it, that's never going to come out well. I think Carlos Sainz, sometimes these things come down to a, literally to a moment and he had a moment where I thought he was going to overtake Max Verstappen at the very beginning. And I just thought, I wonder what would happen if he could have pulled that off. Not to say that he would have won the race, but I think certainly we could have seen something else from him and we might have even seen a podium. I think to not even get a podium would be really disappointing for them. But again, you look back at some of the decisions that the team made too. You know, during qualifying, there had been rain earlier on in the day and the track was still quite damp, you know, the two Ferrari drivers were some of the few that just weren't sent out to set a time at all. And then we had a red flag, you know, like things like that. They kind of hark back to the concerns we had last year about are the right people in that team to make the correct decisions. And I think that, you know, it just didn't, it just, everything looked very uncertain and they had new side pods, which should have been an exciting thing. It should have been a positive thing. And it just, it just hasn't come together. And I really don't know how much longer that driver lineup is going to stick around for that. Carlos Sainz has already said over the weekend that he's really not sure whether or not his future is even going to be at Ferrari. Mm-hmm. So I think just generally things look very uncertain there at the moment. Yeah, it's something to allude, I alluded to at the start of the season. I was hoping this wouldn't happen, but I do think perhaps who's in the pit lane, who's above making the decisions in the boardroom, there needs a complete revamp at Ferrari. What are they? Are they challengers? Are they anywhere closer this year to getting anywhere closer to Red Bull? No, they're not. Um, is that mm-hmm. down to the drivers uh, solely? Not at all. But I think we saw what both are capable of in difficult situations and not capable of this past weekend. And Leclerc certainly has to take a good long hard look at himself. You're right about Science. Perhaps Science Junior could have made that pass. I'm kind of glad he didn't at the start because I think had he done that and then I don't know, being passed out and possibly lapped eventually by my Red Bull wouldn't have been mm-hmm. a good look either. But look, it's frustrating. Uh, that's the, that's the key word so far. I think whatever about McLaren, they've had some highs. There's been no highs nor lows for Ferrari. It's just constant um, mediocrity. And that's just not acceptable yeah. for a side with the, with the budget they have and with the talent that they have and the designers that they have. Maybe new drivers make a difference, but I think it's going to require a lot more. I think that's about as fair as I can be about my beloved Ferrari. Fair, 100%. Mediocrity is never a word that I would ever no. want to associate with that team. It, it's just, it, mm. the, the two just don't fit together, I think. It's the hope that'll kill you as a Ferrari fan, sir. But you're, you're, you're with Forza Ferrari in Cork now. You should have the Forza Ferrari flag and everything out every race now from now on as well. But anyway. I know. <laughs> um, before we finish up, let's just take a quick check on the driver standings for 2023. Max Verstappen in the Red Bull, 170 points, five wins, seven podiums. Sergio Perez, his teammate on 117 with two wins this season. Fernando Alonso still hanging in there in third place. Uh, on 99 points and then Lewis Hamilton and George Russell that 
two and three podium in Spain, bringing them up to fourth and fifth in the standings in the constructors. It's all over. Red Bull, 287, seven wins, 11 podiums. Mercedes into second now, 152, as you mentioned earlier, Sarah, getting ahead of Aston Martin on 134. Ferrari still there with 100 and Alpine, the next closest on 40. It has been uh, very good talking to you as ever. We've learned a lot about that Spanish GP. We've got some interesting insights. In the meantime, between now and the next time you speak to us here on the Big Red Bench, where can we find your online content? Yes, you can find me on YouTube. My videos are all available on my channel if you search Sarah McKenzie F1. And I'm also on Twitter at MacTweets underscore. Excellent stuff. Sarah, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.